Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Root of Big Ten Network, and this episode's guests are Jack Hoiberg, former Michigan State basketball player, and Big Ten Network Manager of Research, Harold Shelton. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! to Jack Hoiberg in just a moment. First, quick message from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. You can build a solid foundation in the strategic, creative, and analytic skills that are essential for success in the business of sports in the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. Great program as always being offered here. Um, definitely check it out if you want to Work in the business of sports, work in the industry, maybe at a place like Big Ten Network. Check it out, Northwestern SPS. All right, now to our first guest, Jack Hoiberg. Last name certainly sounds familiar. You're a basketball fan. Um, His father, of course, is the coach at Nebraska uh, men's basketball, Fred Hoiberg. Also the former coach of the Chicago Bulls and Iowa State, former NBA player with the Minnesota Timberwolves and front office executive as well. So... Comes from a basketball family, Jack does, and um, we talked plenty about him growing up around the game, around some really famous uh, NBA players' personalities, and what it's like to grow up with your dad being such a high-profile figure in the basketball world, and then kind of carving his own path in basketball like he did walking on at Michigan State, eventually receiving a scholarship at Michigan State, and now moving on to the uh, what is likely the last chapter of his college basketball career, transferring to UTA uh, Texas at Arlington for um, the next season. So, good discussion with Jack, and then after that, we talk with Harold Shelton, as we mentioned at the top. Um, but first, we'll get to, to Jack Hoiberg, and that interview starts right now. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by Jack Hoiberg, one of the newest members of the UT Arlington Mavericks men's basketball team. But since this is a Big Ten pod, you know, I got to mention that Jack spent four years on the Michigan State Spartans squad. And, of course, his dad, Fred, is the current head coach at Nebraska. So, Jack, how's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Doing all right. Uh, talking a little bit before this, it's kind of a, a slow time of year in Big Ten country. But I'm wondering what this time of year is like for you, you know, going through a transfer. Are you down in Texas yet? How's that whole adjustment going? And, and just get into uh, that transition in your life. Yeah. So, uh, right now, I just graduated from uh, MSU this past weekend. Um, so we graduate a little, or we get done with school a little bit earlier than most schools, I think. Uh, and now I'm just back home in Nebraska for the month of May. Um, so it's nice spending some time with some family before I uh, head down to Texas in June. All right, congrats on graduating, first of all. Um, Thank you. What went into the decision to transfer down to uh, UT Arlington? Have you like visited the campus yet? How did that whole thing come about? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I spent four years in Michigan State um, and I mean, made some unforgettable uh, experiences and and uh, memories and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, the the thing that I w- really wanted to do was play and play significant minutes. Um, 
And, you know, obviously being on some great teams in Michigan State, I wasn't able to get the opportunity playing under, under Cash Winston um, and, and players of that nature. Um, but, you know, I also learned a lot. And, uh, and I think that it'll help me in this transfer situation. Um, and then why I chose UTA uh, is right off the bat, right when I entered the portal, they were the most aggressive in recruiting me. Um, the situation's good for uh, opportunity to play. Uh, I think that I have a good chance to, to play some significant minutes there and, and make an impact on a team that um, has only been to the NCAA tournament once. Um, and, you know, that's, that's my goal next year is to uh, help us and do whatever I can to, to make it to a NCAA tournament. Um, you know, Sun Belt's a, a solid conference for sure. Uh, so we'll have some good competition, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, listen, no shame in in playing behind Cassius Winston. You know, it's an all-time mm -hmm. great. Uh, I'm sure it made you a lot better in practice as well. Um, yeah. So going back, you know, all the way to the beginning sort of with you, just growing up in a basketball family, obviously you're around the game a lot growing up, I'm sure. Did you realize, like, as you were getting older that it kind of wasn't really a typical childhood, like that most of your peers might have had with your dad? being in the league, then working in the league. And I'm sure you guys moving all around uh, at, at certain points in your life. Yeah, I don't think that I really realized that it was um, kind of a strange childhood until uh, my dad took the head coaching job at Iowa State. Um, even when he was with the Timberwolves and, and when I was able to go in the locker room and, and go to all the games and meet all those cool players like Kevin Garnett, um, the guys that my dad played with in Minnesota, and then um, he was also in their front office, but I really didn't realize it until we moved to Iowa and uh, social media became more prevalent in everything, really. Um, so, I mean, I got a Twitter and, and then, you know, I saw how much people looked up to my dad when we were in public or they'd go ask him for a picture. Um, and then my parents would tell me that I have to uh, kind of, you know, be a little bit more careful than than everyone else because if I were to do something wrong or anything like that it'd be a little bit more in the public eye than just uh, any normal kid um, so I think I realized that when uh, we moved to Iowa uh, and, and I was going through that um, and you know it wasn't easy but um, there's definitely been a ton of amazing opportunities that have come from um, just having the the family that I have yeah, I mean, the microscope would be on you for sure. And, and you mentioned, you know, being around NBA players, Kevin Garnett is an example. Uh, so were there any memories that you look back on, whether it was from your younger days of your childhood around the T-Wolves or maybe later on, you know, around the Bulls? Like, is there any experiences or, or brushes with NBA greatness or celebrities or anything that you look back on and you're like, that was, you know, pretty cool to experience at, at that age? Yeah, one thing that was pretty cool uh, that I tell a lot of people about was when the Xbox 360 came out, the day that it came out, Kevin Garnett bought 12 of them and he actually gave one to me um, for Christmas. So, so that was a pretty funny thing that uh, I, I think that's pretty cool looking back on it. Um, and then like all my dad's teammates would call me Lil Freddy, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and then, at, you know, after that, I don't, I don't have too many like specific memories, but just knowing people like the, the guys that played for my dad at Iowa State, George Nyang, Naz Long, Matt Thomas, Abdul Nader, those guys that are in the NBA right now, Monte Morris. Um, it's been cool to have relationships with those guys and and know um, some guys that are playing in the NBA from uh, 
guys that played for my dad in college. Uh, and then also, um, you know, one time I talked to D Rose about what it was like to have his own shoe. Uh, and he was telling me about how they design the shoes and then set them options. And then he gets to pick what he likes and, and all that type of stuff. So that was pretty cool also. Uh, and then, yeah, like I said, just meeting those guys uh, that played for the Bulls also was a super cool experience. Yeah, I'm thinking back to like what it must have been like walking around uh, Hinsdale Central and you're like, your dad is the coach of the Bulls. Like, did <laughs> kids ever approach you and just want to talk hoops or, or want to talk ball? Or did everyone kind of like get over it pretty quickly? Uh, you know, at first, um, everyone would come up to me and, and talk about the bowls and, and that sort of stuff, but it dies down pretty quickly. Um, after I get to know somebody or get to know everybody, then, uh, I just kind of feel like a regular kid. It, it doesn't really feel like that big of a deal. Um, every now and then I'd get questions about the bowls or my dad, but other than that, everyone was pretty cool about it and, um, just kind of let, let me be my own person. Yeah, and you are your own person and player, obviously, and, and you did choose uh, Michigan State for hoops. Obviously, a, you know, crazy elite program, um, awesome opportunity. How did it come about for you? What was the, the process like to know that you would potentially get a spot, or did you even know? Like, just take me through landing uh, up in East Lansing. Yeah, so I had kind of an unorthodox um, approach to playing basketball in college because my last two years of high school, I didn't play any AAU basketball. I actually focused more on golf. Um, and I was actually, I, I had a scholarship and I was committed to play golf at the University of South Dakota. Um, and then during my senior year, I was playing basketball and it was going pretty well. And I realized that basketball was the sport that I wanted to play uh, in college. Um, so I, you know, it, it helps have my, or with my dad having connections um, and stuff like that. And we were able to contact some schools and, and uh, I ended up taking a visit at Michigan state uh, and, you know, coaches treated me really well on the visit. And, um, you know, I just, I love the family atmosphere and, and everything that was going on there. Michigan state wasn't even really on my radar until um, we reached out and they, uh, they treated me really well and, and like I was family. So uh, I decided to jump on that opportunity. Yeah, real quick, you brought up golf. Um, I know you said you turned down the, the opportunity to play D1, but are, are you a golf fan? Like, do you have uh, favorite guys that are uh, on the tour? Take, take me inside kind of your golf fandom. Yeah, I, I love golf still. Uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. I won two state championships playing at Hinsdale Central. They're pretty notorious golf school. Um, and I was able to play with some, some guys who are trying to go pro this year. Um, but my favorite player on the tour, I love Tiger. Um, I love, uh, like Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, um, those type of guys, you know, I, I got a root for the lefties cause I'm a lefty myself. So Phil Mickelson, um, yeah, I mean, Brooks Kepka is Dustin Johnson, all those guys. I mean, I, I don't know if I have one specific favorite player, but I'm definitely a fan of the game. Awesome. Yeah. Um, going back to what you said about, you know, MSU being a family atmosphere environment and, um, you know, Izzo being welcoming to you guys. I know one of the big highlights that got a lot of publicity was when you started against your dad's Nebraska team back in February, 2020, uh, mm -hmm. you got on the board in that game. I think they had four points and, and, uh, even crashed, I believe the, the post game press conference reading back. on yeah. it. So 
throughout that whole experience, who would you say was like the most nervous? Was it you? Was it your dad? Or was it coach Izzo for, um, you know, making a, a lineup change in the middle of the season like that? Uh, you know, probably coach Izzo, because if, if we got off to a bad start and maybe lost by a couple of points, then I feel like maybe we'd, uh, he'd, he'd look back on the decision differently, but uh, I, you know, I honestly didn't feel too nervous. Coach Izzo told me probably 40 minutes before the game and, and, you know, all my teammates were, were really helpful. Uh, Cassius and Xavier were kind of coming up to me telling me that, you know, this stuff's easier than practice, stuff like that, that, that helped me um, kind of block out any, any nerves that I had. Um, but I mean, it was definitely a, an amazing experience that I'll never forget. Uh, and, and coaches out doing that was pretty cool for my family. Cause I had a lot of family in attendance and stuff like that. Yeah, certainly an, an awesome experience and, um, you know, glad it worked out. And, and I know, you know, you, you touched on what Cassius said, how it's just easier in the game sometimes when you get out there, I know you, you got minutes. I mean, as recently in a really huge game against, uh, the number two Michigan squad that was, uh, you know, on the brink of the final four this year. That was, I think, March 7th on mm -hmm. uh, your guys' senior day, and, and you had some key minutes, like I said, in that one. I remember listening to that game. I was, I was on a road trip, but I was listening, like, on the edge of my seat. That was a really good game um, late in the Big Ten season. So what was it like to play in that rivalry, contribute, and where does it kind of rank uh, among your Spartan memories? Yeah, that's definitely up there. Um, I mean, there were so many times throughout my career that coaches would tell me, be ready, be ready. Um, you know, we're thinking about playing you this game, be ready. And, uh, you know, the, that, those minutes and that opportunity um, came in that Michigan game. Um, and, I mean, to, to have it be against the rival school that, you know, everyone hates uh, and then ended up beating them um, as their number two in the, in the country, that was a really cool thing that, um, that I'll definitely take with me. And that being on senior day also was – um, another reason why it was so special. For sure. And then when you reflect, I've already brought up, you know, two pretty notable ones, but do you have any other things that you'll take with you that you reflect on? Uh, maybe they're not in the game, but something from your time on campus that, uh, you know, just memories that you'll cherish when you, you look back on your college basketball career. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing that I'll take with me is the relationships and friendships that I've gotten with my time being at Michigan State. Uh, I mean, the final four was amazing. The, the Big Ten championships were great. But I think the most valuable thing was the, the people that I've met um, and, and the friends that I've made along the way. Uh, and, you know, I think that with the people that I met, it'll open up opportunities in the future for myself and um, just the connections that I've built throughout my time at Michigan State. Uh, I think those are really the, the most important and the coolest things to me. Yeah, and your redshirt year, your freshman year, would have been with the uh, Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson team, right? You yep, correct. Guys? Okay. So, you know, you started, obviously, with some crazy athletes, and that continued. You know, you, you got X in the NBA now, plenty of guys who could fill it up and, and do some really impressive stuff. So, like, throughout your entire career, what's maybe the craziest thing you saw in practice or something these guys did that you're just like, man, this, you know, these dudes are elite. And, and like, when you see what Bridges and Jaron are doing now in the league and, and X2, a lot of these guys, um, you know, you, you reflect on and you're like, yeah, I saw that coming uh, back in 2017, 18. Yeah, I mean, that, that team my freshman year was one of the most talented teams I've ever seen. Um, 
I mean, we had those four NBA guys. X was barely playing that year uh, till the end. Um, and then I think we went 30 and five that year. But just every practice we had, um, Miles doing those crazy dunks that you see on NBA Twitter or, or on TV and that type of stuff. We saw Miles doing that every day in practice. Um, we saw a young Jaron who, uh, who was going through some learning curves, um, but obviously he's turned out great. Uh, we saw X who wasn't really in the, in the best of shape, but completely transformed his body. Um, and then we saw prime Joshua Langford uh, before the injuries, um, which, you know, he, he was one of the biggest pieces on that team. Um, so, I mean, that, that team was unbelievable. And looking back on it, it was really cool to even be a part of that team. Um, and then I still talk to a lot of those guys, uh, talk to Jaron almost daily. Um, still got a group chat with Miles in it. Uh, still talk to X and Cash sometimes. So, I mean, it, it was just really cool to play with some guys that are in the league. Uh, and then also seeing them doing great there has been awesome. Yeah, in my limited interactions with those guys, um, you know, or there was like, I think I was in the locker room at the Final Four one year, and I, I talked to Jaron at the um, NBA All-Star Weekend when it was in Chicago. And, like, he's – Jaron is hilarious. Like, he's the funniest dude, even though I've probably shared three sentences with the guy. Just a He's goofy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just made me made me uh, crack up, like, in the, the brief interactions. But uh, I also got some inside info on you. I don't know, like, if this is well-known among – uh spartan fans but definitely in the locker room i heard they call you uh step back jack is that right step back jack yep <laughs> okay does the i might sound ignorant right now to, the, to michigan state fans is that well known or is that more of an internal thing uh i would say it's kind of well known every time i post like an instagram picture i'll get a couple of spartan fans saying step back jack stuff like that um it's funny because i just i hit one step back against ohio state and then everyone started calling me step back jack like I do it in practice and stuff, but but it was pretty funny to see a, the support, like part of a fan base start to call me Step Back Jack just off of one shot. There we go. I thought I had a scoop, but I guess not. It's a, <laughs> but either way, I did see also, you know, in your uh, commitment graphic to UTA, I guess mm -hmm. they're, uh, I don't know if it's going to carry into next season, but their hashtag is Mav Up Baby. So, you know, you got two catchy slogans right there, Step Back yeah. Jack, Mav Up Baby. Like this could be a little collab going here. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think I think that'd be that'd be a great way to start my career there. Just endear yourself to the to the locals. Um, <laughs> all right, Jack. Before we wrap up, real quick, I you know I don't expect you to be a uh, a Husker basketball expert or, or necessarily you know answer for your dad on any of this, but I know you're in Nebraska right now, like you mentioned, yep. and I'm wondering if you could share maybe your perspective on on what your dad's building there. Um, and I know that school and that community is special to your family, so if you could just give us an inside peek at at what he's building with the Huskers. Yeah, I think my dad's building something really special here at Nebraska. Uh, they got a top 15 recruiting class coming in next year. Um, they got a, a lot of guys returning, a lot of good guys returning. Um, so, you know, I'm really excited for him because I think I heard this stat that um, I think they have 80% of their scoring returning or something like that. Uh, and the most that he ever had returning at Iowa State was 40. Uh, so having 80% of the scoring returning and then having Nebraska's first ever five-star recruit and some other great players coming in. Uh, I think that they're just starting something really special there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we 
obviously any college basketball fan remembers how scary those Iowa State teams were. And you mentioned mm -hmm. you rattled off a lot of those guys that are in the league now. You know, we see see them doing big things, and uh, the blueprint is definitely there. Um, and a couple of just quick, fun, kind of lighter questions to end the interview here. But um, you know, we know Izzo can can shoot free throws with the best of them. We know your dad was a good shooter in the league. I think over 40% for his career. Um, who would win in a game of horse Izzo or Fred? Who not to knock on, on coaches, but I think, I think my dad will get him there. My dad has that, uh, a little more experience in the, in the playing field than coaches, but, I don't know. Coach Izzo does have some life experience on him, so maybe he'd come up with some trick shots that my dad wouldn't know how to deal with. What about a free throw contest straight up? That'd be a little closer. Coaches would shoot free throws before every practice, uh, but my dad used to be a pretty good free throw shooter himself too, so I think that one would be a little closer. All right. Last uh, last comp here. Which one would give a better pregame speech, uh, You know, more motivating or fired up pregame speech? I think I think Izzo definitely knows how to get everyone fired up. I'm gonna have to go with coaches for the for the getting dudes fired up. All right, last question. Uh, rarely do we have you know that many guests anywhere in Big Ten country who are so familiar with like two different Big Ten campuses. Like obviously you live four years in East Lansing, mm -hmm. spending some time in Nebraska now. Um, I don't know how well you know you, you know the comparatively uh, in, the ins and outs, but. If you could, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What's one thing that East Lansing does better than Lincoln? And then one thing Lincoln does better than East Lansing? Hmm. I think that... Hmm. Good question. It is tough. I'm going to put you on the spot. I think that East Lansing has better pizza. Lincoln doesn't have any good pizza spots in my opinion and then i think lincoln i'm just going to keep in the food i think lincoln lincoln's got more food options though a little more variety a little more variety definitely okay i i, I can see that you know east lansing's got the kind of the detroit influence going on the pan pizza yeah. and not gonna lie like you're, you're right people sleep on lincoln nebraska cuisine they do you're Everyone knows about the the sushi there. The sushi scene is um, really good with blue sushi. And yeah, they got some other uh, sneaky good spots popping up down there. So they, I'm do. they, get, they have many options. So. All right. I love it. You played it safe a little bit, but, it, you know, I, it's did. Okay. I definitely played it safe. It's OK. I, I did put you in a tough spot there. You don't want to <laughs> turn any fans against you on your way out the door. But uh, Jack, I appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks so much for not only sharing, you know, your family basketball history lineage but also your, your own journey really appreciate it and best of luck in the next step and and uh you know we'll be following you in your your hoops career and, and maybe your uh, amateur golf career as well yeah i appreciate it alex thanks for having me all right thanks once again to jack for joining me really cool of him to share his stories about being up close to some of the you know games greats hall of famers as a little kid and and uh you know adolescent teenager and then kind of looking back and realizing how unique that was uh love, love hearing that type of stuff and also some cool perspective not only on his career at michigan state and some some neat moments and uh fun experiences as a walk on there and and but it also gave some valuable insight about what his dad fred is doing at nebraska as he is rebuilding that program over in lincoln so uh cool to touch 
couple of Big Ten basketball programs in one episode. Hopefully uh, the Spartans, Huskers fans enjoyed tuning in. And we'll uh, toss it over now to another guy who should interest Spartans fans, it's Harold Shelton. If you're not a regular listener to the show, Harold joins us usually every week to talk about the ins and outs of Big Ten football and basketball. He is our manager of research. He is a great resource to talk to about all the, the happenings in the sports landscape because it's his job to stay on top of it um, and make sure everyone on our talent TV and studio set is informed. So Harold's uh, coming right up. We talk, since it is not in season, obviously, here in mid-May, we talk uh, a little bit of NFL draft since we haven't had an episode since then. Uh, you know, I get a little giddy about Justin Fields going to the Chicago Bears. And beyond that, we talk about the new Big Ten basketball peak schedule which gives us an idea of which teams will be matching up how many times who gets uh to play each other twice which teams maybe avoid some of the tougher challenges in a big 10 schedule and we'll get into it right now it's it's harold shelton coming right up all right very pleased to be rejoined by harold shelton big 10 network manager of research back after a couple weeks touch and go in the spring you know we we missed a chunk of Big Ten news, including the NFL draft, but it's good to have you back, H. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, you know, I was able to kind of stretch my legs for a little bit over these last couple of weeks off. Uh, so I'm back and, and ready to go. All right, we knew we had to talk to you this week because we got Sparty guy on, Jack Weiberg. Um, you know, stat sheet stuffer he is not, but still fan favorite. Big name, obviously, with his family ties. And as we do now, every week when we... Uh, have a, have a guest on before you. I want you to get some uh, give some memories of what you remember about our guests in action and, and uh, what kind of sticks out to you. I remember, I think it was last year uh, when Michigan State was playing at Nebraska. And I think it was Hoiberg, Fred Hoiberg's first year. And, you know, I remember Hoiberg, uh, sorry, Fred Hoiberg <laughs> in the uh, post game. And he's looking at the, the sheet and he's going through the starters and he's like, oh, you know, that's five and 23, such, 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 like 10. Who's 10? And he's like, oh, blank. That's Jack. Like, he didn't even realize that his son was starting the game against him. And so I thought that was a really, really fun moment. Um, and I remember Jack hitting a couple shots in that game. And, you know, just it was a I thought it was a class move by Izzo. I know Izzo and, and Fred Hoiberg are good friends. So think it was a nice payoff for everybody involved there and then uh this past year you know with Michigan State's you know tourney streak kind of in jeopardy there um he actually played some some big minutes and some you know spot duty kind of held his own you didn't really notice a drop off when he came in and he certainly helped out when they were uh kind of low at point guard with lawyer being out and rocket struggling and you know they would plug him in for a couple minutes here and there and, and thought he ran the team well so you know i definitely uh remember those couple of things and you know best of luck to him down at uh, ut arlington yeah for sure and you know he didn't indicate this at all but i imagine it's got to be hard to to be the son of a prominent coach slash player you know guy who's in the nba uh coach at a high level i'm sure there's a lot of pressure on fred obviously you know especially with the bulls job like that's such a high profile job but as a kid growing up uh even though he didn't let on like it is it's got to be you know, stressful, just one, he did say that he had to kind of keep a low profile as far as like staying out of trouble, which that's definitely true as a, as a teenager, you know, when you might be running around 
wild now or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just I always admire kids that can that can keep it together throughout all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, just for for different reasons. But like, whenever you have a parent that's like an authority figure or something, like the last thing you want to do is to get in trouble and then they have it go back to them because then you're in double trouble. Like <laughs> once the parents get get back to you, like it's a big problem. And so like I know speaking from experience, like my dad was my elementary school math teacher. My mom was the assistant principal at the middle school I went to. So like I couldn't really get into trouble, you know, during those times because obviously it would be embarrassing to them. And then I would catch, you know what, back at the house. So I definitely had to be on my P's and Q's. So from a very, a much smaller perspective, I can understand uh, what Jack might've been thinking at that point. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I, I come from somebody who was like embarrassed if their parents like chaperone a field trip or anything like that. I can't imagine what that situation was like having them in the school. I'm glad that that was not the case uh, for me. And, and, you know, I don't want to act like Jack is some scrub. Like you said, he could hold his own against D1 uh, guys when given the opportunity like we talked about a little bit with him, had to go up against Cassius Winston in practice. So I'm sure he'll make an impact at, down at UTA. Uh, excited to see that. And like you said, best of luck to him. Um, all right, H, we missed the opportunity a couple weeks ago uh, without an episode dropping. I do have to continue my victory lap because of Justin Fields going to the Bears. Um, you know, it's been a thing with our digital department where we watch – the NFL draft every year. We we put out content related to our players that get drafted. And this is the first time that I really got personally excited, kind of got swept up in the evening um, when Justin Fields went to Chicago at number 11. And it, as the dominoes kind of started to fall and things started to line up, I kind of see what was happening. That's when the excitement started to build. Uh, some of us are Packers fans in our department. So it, for once, it was nice to have the tables turned. And I know as a Detroit guy, you know, you guys are kind of the, the the doormats alongside us in the NFC North. So I'm having my moment right now and still enjoying it two weeks later. Yeah, I was honestly surprised that they did it. Um, I mean, it makes complete sense as to why they did, but it just seemed like for so long, you know, outside of getting Trubisky, it was kind of, you know, we'll try to sign this guy. We'll try to sign this guy. We'll have a patchwork situation here. And I mean, look, the elephant in the room is you can't really think of many like black starting quarterbacks that they've had it, you know, maybe. You know, Cordell Stewart is like the only one. There, there, yeah. Like Henry Burr is filling in a little bit here and there, but not like, hey, this guy is absolutely fr the franchise going forward. So seeing Fields land there, uh, it was surprising for multiple reasons, uh, you know, that I mentioned. But I think uh, that's really all they needed. I mean, the defense is usually solid. You know, the weapons are decent. Like, you know, if they could protect them, I think he could do big things there. Yeah, it was really the only thing that I think could have happened on draft night that would have got me back buying in as a Bears fan. Like, I was kind of checked out, to be honest, after they signed Andy Dalton and it seemed like they weren't going to take competing seriously. They were going to, you know, maybe be 8-9, eight, 9-8. Eight and nine, nine and eight game schedule but they did it and so like the Bears fan connection is obvious for me but also like I'm trying to think I don't think a Big Ten player that I've covered you know not really covered because we're not we're not Big J journalists but but been close to and followed really closely through their career big star I can't think of any that have ended up in my favorite pro team so that's a cool connection in that way just because it's somebody that I've seen play and you know kind of looked at and admired as a, an athlete and now I get to root for him for hopefully, you know, 10, 15 years. So selfishly just basking in the glow. No, nothing wrong with that. And I mean, 
we, we've seen Justin Fields for two years. I mean, he's maybe had, what, one and a half bad games in his career. Um, you know, I guess the, the one issue that people have with him is that he tends to hold on to the ball too long at times. Uh, but I think you can you can uh, coach that. Um, we we can see the accuracy. We know how fast he is. We know how tough he is. We saw him bounce back from that Clemson game, and he played, you know, on a bum knee his first year in Columbus, and still got him to the playoffs. So uh, I think it was a really good pick. I completely understand you basking in the glow, and if I was in that position, I'd be doing the same. All right, not going to linger on the draft too long because it was uh, quite a ways in the rearview mirror. So far, in fact, they already released a schedule two weeks later uh, this past Wednesday. So we got some exciting dates on the calendar to look forward to. I'm, I'm such an NFL fan. I can't wait for season to get here. Um, any other moves, though, uh, players landing in spots that might be advantageous? Anything that stuck out to you as far as where we get to watch the Big Ten stars of uh, years past play next season? Um, I'll, I'll name a couple and then kind of do a, a, a quick veer to, to something I wanted to, to touch on for a bit. But uh, I mean, Pat Fryer moved going to the Steelers seemed like a, a, a no brainer fit there. Um, you know, I remember Jesse James, another Penn State tight end playing mm -hmm. for them. And so now they can add another Penn State tight end to go there with them. Um, I think Ambry Thomas uh, landed in San Francisco in the third round was a really nice pick for them. Um, you know, he gets to learn behind some some veterans there. And Quiddy Pay going to the Colts at 21, already a young defense. You know, adding a, a guy like that who can play some three, four, four, three, I think was a, a a big fit there. I wouldn't be. Sh I was a little shocked to see Davion Nixon go. Uh, was it 158 overall? Yeah, he fell uh, like the fifth, I think, fifth round. Yeah, I was very very surprised to see that. I was surprised to see that there were two Iowa guys that went ahead of him. Um, but I do think uh, Amir Smith-Marset's got a chance to to make some noise in Minnesota um, as a returner and potentially, you know, maybe a slot guy, you know, give Kirk Cousins another weapon to throw the ball to. So um, I, I thought those were definitely some good fits. And I think for me, just overall, I was really struck by, uh, you know, not, not surprised that Ohio State had 10, but I was a little surprised that Michigan had eight. And you saw like their record this year, like the last couple of years, and you see like they continue to put out this NFL talent. Now, granted, I know some of those guys opted out this year. Like I know Nico Collins and Ambry Thomas opted out. So, you know, I know that certainly had an effect, but you kind of see, you know, they get, you know, 15, 16, 17 guys drafted over a two year period and the records don't really match up. And you kind of wonder what's going on there. Um, you know, Michigan State and Rutgers didn't have a player drafted at all. You kind of see why coaching changes happened because of that. There wasn't NFL talent on the rosters. Um, both Greg Schiano and Mel Tucker are living in the transfer portal and completely remaking those rosters. So that's going to be that's going to make my job a lot harder uh, once bus tour time comes because I'm going to need name tags for a lot of these guys. I'm not going to know <laughs> you know who they are. So um, you know, just the fact that. You know, obviously there's some schools like Ohio State and Penn State and they're churning out guys and they're winning a lot of games. And then you get some others who didn't get picked and you see why. And, and Michigan State had a, a 80 year drop, a 80 year streak snapped of a player getting drafted in the NFL. It just kind of goes to show that was kind of the end of the D'Antonio era. And that was kind of the fitting way to end it. Yeah, glad you brought up Fryermuth, uh, baby Gronk. I, I'd forgotten that he was like a huge Gronk fan. Um, Took him in my fantasy rookie draft this past week, so hoping he pans out. Rondale Moore uh, to the Cardinals is exciting. They they got you know a 
pretty high-powered offense now in the desert with uh, New Hopkins and, and Kyler Murray and just kind of a long way that team is – that franchise has come in the last few years, kind of re- totally revitalizing it. Um, I like Rashad Bateman on the Ravens. Uh, that passing game or that – you know, Lamar's great, but their receiving core was always kind of lacking – depth I mean they brought in Des Bryant last year that should tell you something so having Bateman as a big target to kind of go alongside Hollywood Brown like that potential you mentioned Cody Pay to the Colts and like I don't really know how he fits on that team but it was just cool to see him say uh to his mom that she didn't have to work anymore especially with the story uh of that family being uh, refugees and then coming over and well told by now as uh, everyone discovered on draft night outside the Big Ten and uh I want to get your thoughts real quick on like Trey Sermon going to third round to the Niners because it just seemed like Trey Sermon was great, but he, he didn't really break out until uh, late in the season. And it seems like with how running backs are valued, I was, I was just surprised to see him go that early. Like, don't think it's a bad thing, but I uh, want to get your thoughts on, on big bruising running backs, you know, where, where Sermon might fit in the NFL, this modern NFL. Um, I guess I'm not too surprised he got drafted where he did just because, you know, the, the, Northwestern game, he was great. The Clemson yeah. game, he was great. Um, and he, even though he's a bigger guy, he still showed some breakaway speed there. And I think the tape from Oklahoma also showed he can be a complete back. Um, you know, I, I know earlier in the year, they didn't really throw to him as much, but then we started to see that part of his game as well. So, you know, we know he can run it. He can catch it. Um, you know, I think going to an offense like, Kyle Shanahan's out there in San Francisco will be uh, very, very beneficial. And we've seen Ohio State running backs, you know, do well in the league. I mean, Carlos Hyde's still doing his thing and obviously Zeke's doing his thing. So, you know, I think uh, Ohio State running back will just add Sermon to that list. And I'd be surprised if he's not successful. And I like the fit because San Francisco, they, they push people around. They got big boys, uh, used to check at fullback. Um, they, you know, on their defense, they're, they're tough. Kyle Shanahan's got a knows what he wants out there. So, be excited to see Trey Sermon add to that mix. Mostert as well, you know, with the uh, with the speed aspect as well. So a lot of Big Ten guys on that uh, that roster, George Kittle included. Um, all right, that's enough NFL H. Let's talk some hoops in May. Uh, as a huge basketball fan, like we both are, you know, I know I'm never tired of college basketball, tired of talking about it, and I think the the sting has wore off a little bit from Big Ten's disappointing show in late March, early April. So um, what do you say? I know there was a schedule release today, sort of. Um, It always sneaks up on me every year that the Big Ten does like this kind of semi-schedule release and they announce what they call the conference opponent matchups or breakdowns. There's not even really a a neat term for it, but um, basically we have to find out how many times the Big Ten basketball teams play each other in the upcoming season. So before we even get into the the matchups and who maybe got off easy and who had tough draws, do we have any background as like why it's always in May when they do this and how they do this and what the protocol is here? Uh, I'm not sure why it comes out in May. Um, I know when, you know, once they went to the 20 game schedule, obviously they've done it with, you know, seven, uh, every school gets seven teams, uh, both home and away and then six teams once, and that split, you know, home and away. Um, I'm assuming Kevin Pogger is part of the scheduling process. Um, For those who don't know him, he uh, is a schedule guru. 
Uh, he's a Michigan State basketball basketball ops guy now. Um, and he's always been a big factor in scheduling. I know he was a big part of the, the football second release uh, last year. So I know I'm sure he could have a, you know, a better insight on that. I had to, to hit him up about it and just kind of ask, like, you know, why May, you know, why now kind of thing. Um, but he, he his brain power definitely gets used on that. And I'm always curious to see because there's always the conspiracy theories out here of, well, such and such always gets an easier schedule. Why does this team always play, you know, Michigan State twice? Or why do they always play Wisconsin twice? So I'm always curious to see, like, what kind of goes into that. Yeah, the very Spartan-centric episode with uh, Kevin Pagan mentioned. I've never met him, but I've, I got an indirect compliment from him once. Uh, apparently, he liked one of the things we did at the Big Ten basketball tournament. And knowing kind of what he did and, and the, like you said, the brain power behind it, I was very flattered because uh, even looking at the layout of the schedule release for basketball, my mind is a hard time wrapping itself around who's playing who twice, if this is good, if this is bad. It, my, my brain just never worked that way quickly to decipher, you know, what what is a favorable matchup and uh, reading it off a, a spreadsheet or a page like that. So uh, let's get into it a little bit. H, any, any like off the top observations of teams that, um, you know, have it set up kind of nice just based off where projections are. And, and look, like we all know this is May and the NBA draft is still two months away. Players should come back. Players could leave. Tra transfers could come in and out. Um, there's a long way to go, but just with an idea of where things stand, um, what jumped out at you with the soft schedule release here? Um, I think Purdue is a big winner. Um, just kind of looking at it on the surface, you know, they return, you know, so much of that team. And then you look, you know, Maryland's supposed to be really good. They only get them once it's at home. Ohio State's supposed to be really good. They only get them once at home. Uh, Michigan State will probably be pretty good. I don't know if they're top three or top four in the Big Ten good, but you know, it should still be a tourney team. They only get them once and it's on the road. Um, always good to see the rivalry be played twice. So they get two at Indiana. Uh, obviously two at Michigan will be tough, two at Wisconsin, two at Illinois. But anytime you can play, you know, three of your main contenders just once and two of those being at home, I think that gives you a big advantage. Yeah, I had, uh, I had Michigan and Illinois as two that had tough draws just because they, it did seem like they have teams in the top, projected being in the top of the Big Ten, your Ohio States uh, and Purdue for, for Michigan, also uh, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan State on there. Teams that might not be great or at least not projected to be right now, but middle of the pack and, and could have some potential. Uh, and then Illinois projected to play Maryland, Michigan, and Purdue uh, all twice. I thought that was a little difficult, although they did dodge a bullet with Ohio State, who should be very solid. So I don't know if those teams fell into your your tough draws at all, but those were those were a couple that off the paper jumped off to me. Yeah, I definitely had Michigan in the tough draw category. I think Illinois, I, I get your point, but I think having Ohio State and Wisconsin uh, being your one plays and both of them being at home, I think is very beneficial. And yeah. the your one plays on the road being Minnesota, Nebraska, and who knows what Indiana is going to be at this point, but uh, that's a winnable game, I would think. So having those be your three uh, you know, one-offs one on the road, I think works well there. Um, and you just kind of see what happens with, with Maryland and Michigan and Michigan State and Purdue and Rutgers. You hope to hold your own at home and maybe split some of those on the road. Again, anytime you could take your contenders and only have to play 
play them one time and you get, you know, more than those, you know, more than those split at home, like you'll take it every time. Yeah. And good point about Indiana. Like it's, it's very strange. Cause I, I've, I think I've been talking to them being a pretty good team next year. Rarely do you see it in year one of a new head coach, but I can see it kind of working out maybe like Illinois had in 2012, 13, where they had a good roster coming back. They just needed a change at the head coaching position and, and they won some big games, uh, beat some really, you know, top tier teams that year and then made the in-state tournament with a, a pretty good record. I think they were seven seed. So I can see Indiana doing that. Um, I don't know how you feel about them because it, it is strange just, you know, having them under year one of a coach that wasn't the first option uh, to be, to be honest, uh, getting relatively favorable, I think, projections just as it stands out. And Trace Jackson Davis obviously has a lot to do with that. Yeah. You know, the fact that he was able to keep him was huge. Um, you know, I mean, it looked like he was out the door. Race Thompson was another one he was able to get to stay. Uh, I know they lost Armand Franklin, but keeping those two guys, I think, speaks to the, the recruiting job that Woodson did to keep those guys there. And I'll just be curious to see how they play. I mean, you know, Indiana for the Archie Miller era just wasn't a good shooting team. They were not efficient offensively at all. And I'll be curious to see, you know, with Woodson's NBA background, they brought Dane Fife in, uh, you know, as an assistant to kind of help with the guards. So I'll be curious to see how that that team looks. I think they're a complete wild card at this point. Any other teams that you look at and think that maybe they got a uh, short end of the stick as far as scheduling goes? Uh, it was tough. I, I, I was, I was kind of scrolling through and it was hard to find some of that. I, and that, I think a lot of that comes with also not knowing who the elite teams could possibly be, you know? Yeah. I think that's what makes it so hard is you, we don't really know, you know, like this team could be really good. And I think a lot of it is because of the portal. Like, I don't think we thought Maryland would be, you know, that great, you know, coming back, but then, you know, they added a couple of guys and, no, I know Andy Katz has him, I think, uh, as his favorite. You know, we'll I'm, get to that. Hey. We'll get to that. I had that listed for later as our last topic because I want to get your thoughts. Uh, but, yeah, like, it's a good point. You know, the portal's good to them. They got Fats Russell and, and Wahab, two great, uh, first of all, just straight-up names coming into the Big Ten. Fats Russell's elite. And then, you know, what is it, Judas Wahab or Kudus Wahab? Mm. Kudus Wahab, I think. That's yeah, kind of a cool yeah. name. Yeah. So, um, good point about them. Uh, how about maybe some favorable schedules? I, I had some few teams written down. It was easier, I think, to single those out. But again, we never really know. Um, I had Michigan State as somewhat favorable. Um, obviously, you're going to have a rivalry game with Michigan twice. And I think what I always look for for the schedules are your natural rivals and do you play them once or twice? Yep. Um, I know, you know the conference has tried to, to fix that going forward to make sure that you know, Indiana, Purdue played twice and Michigan, Michigan State played twice and things like that. I noticed Wisconsin, Iowa only play once, but they do get Minnesota twice. So I always look for those. Um, and Michigan State, they get Purdue once, but it's at home. You know, they get Ohio State just once. It's on the road. Uh, but, you know, the fact that, you know, Mackey has been a house of horrors from them, for them and they can avoid that completely, I think, is a huge win. I have Michigan State as well as a, uh, you know, lighter side of the schedule. Um, I had Indiana, uh, their single plays. Michigan, I think, was was uh, fortunate for them. Michigan State, uh, and, you know, we don't know if Illinois is going to be another top four team this year, kind of waiting on Kofi to, to decide on that front. But that's another single play. 
uh, team that, that beat them twice last year. So I thought Indiana's was, was relatively favorable. Wisconsin as well. Um, they, they get Michigan and Maryland once, uh, as well as Illinois and Iowa. So Iowa's another team. It's just, you know, they'll probably take a, a, a decent step back, but you just never know. They, they still do have some veterans and, and some young talent. We know Bohannon's coming back. Keegan Murray looked really good at times last year. Uh, McCaffrey, uh, McCaffrey's are still there as, as um, you know, Patrick looked to be a pretty good contributor off the bench. So, I don't know, a lot of speculation, but I had Wisconsin. And then uh, Northwestern, all their single plays, I'm pretty sure, uh, don't have it right in front of me, but it seemed like all their single plays were top-tier Big Ten teams. So uh, maybe the Cats can maybe maintain the hot start they got off to last year, or at least, you know, make take a step forward. Uh, and what will be an interesting year for Chris Collins. Yeah, it looks like they get Michigan, Ohio State once on the road, Rutgers, Wisconsin once at home. So, yeah, you'll definitely take that. Yeah. Um, you know, Maryland, they get twice. Purdue, they get twice. Um, but we'll see. You know, they actually played pretty well against Maryland last year. Um, and they beat Michigan State last year. They get them twice. So, yeah, I think that's a good call on the Wildcats. Yeah, teams, you got to look for teams of first-year head coaches too, like Minnesota, Penn State, twice on, on team schedules. And, and those are places where it's way more of a build and a lift than it is in Indiana. So when I see those teams popping up twice on team schedules, then, you know, it, it tends to lean more favorably. It's going to be... I think it's gonna be tough for both those those schools this year. But. No, I agree with that. We'll see. Any uh, anyone else on the light side of the draw that you saw? Uh, I think we could say Ohio State. Uh, the fact that they get uh, Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue, and Rutgers all once, I think, mm-hmm. is certainly helpful. Uh, the only thing that prevented me uh, from saying completely on the lighter side was that. The Illinois, Purdue, and Rutgers games are all on the road. Right. So, obviously, that's tough. Um, but, you know, getting Michigan State, uh, not having to go to Breslin where they lost a year ago and they've struggled to win up there uh, recently, I think it is big. Um, but still got Maryland twice, still got Michigan twice. So, not – I mean, this league, the way it is, I mean, you're just kind of looking for any little edge possible. Um, and, you know, obviously, we're just kind of spitballing here. But it's uh, – it's a fun exercise to look at, you know, so far out. Yeah, and one thing to remember that it's kind of hard to recalibrate your brain for, at least for me, is these arenas are probably going to be full again next year. I don't see why not at this point. Um, you know, obviously no announcements been made, but it seems like that's where things are trending just in major sports. And those special environments should be back, right? Like Mackey Arena is one, uh, Breslin's another one, and, and Rutgers was was really intimidating in the final year with fans. Uh, so like last year just was a complete outlier. I think with things really balancing, evening out and it, it's, it matters if, you know, if your single play uh, draw is away at Mackey, like that, that's tougher than some other schools for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had the fans coming back uh, as part of the reason why I picked the schedules as such. Um like you said, I, I think Mackey's probably the toughest arena uh, in the in the Big Ten. Um, those fans are, are right on top of you. You know that that metal ceiling kind of keeps all of the sound in there. And just speaking from you know fan experience, you know seeing good Michigan State teams go in there and just get absolutely worked year after year after year. Um, and I remember the Virginia game. I think the year after Virginia won the title, mm-hmm. and they go in there and lose by thirty. I mean. 
it could get really ugly really fast if you're an opponent that's not playing well there. So uh, having the fans back at Mackey, I think will be a huge boost for a team that's already going to be probably top three in the Big Ten. Yep, for sure. All right, so you touched on it briefly. I uh, wanted to bring it up as our last topic here. Andy Katz came out with uh, his spring power rankings. He did some right after the Final Four or after the season ended. Um, he sent me some by surprise last week. Well, late last week, and they came out uh, Wednesday of this week. And I, I was thinking, do we, you know, do we really need these? It's, it's May. It's we don't know who's coming back, who's still around uh, for sure yet. And I broke down because, you know, Andy's going to get what he wants in this this type of scenario. He's he's a he's a content factory, and we put it out, and it did numbers. Like people want, I guess, power rankings in, in May, and uh, obviously they care about what Andy thinks. And, uh, you know, I saw media from across the Big Ten kind of retweeting it during a slow time of year and, and commenting on it. So you mentioned he had Maryland one. I'll run through his top five. Michigan at two, Purdue three, Ohio State four, Indiana at five. What are your thoughts on this very early power rankings about uh, six months from the first tip? Um I think the fact that we have the list just kind of goes to show that people are are craving college basketball still like the the college basketball diehards will just find anything to give them a reason to talk about it and so the fact that we're talking about this in may when you still got guys in the portal we don't know if they're bringing anybody in if players are going to come back from the portal you know rosters aren't finalized you know guys are still uh testing the nba draft process so obviously there's a you know very very fluid situations at a lot of these schools but, you know, that doesn't stop, you know, for instance, ESPN putting out the way too early top 25 immediately after the national championship game ends in football and basketball. So, you know, I don't see why we can't have a little fun with it. Uh, I was surprised to see Maryland won. I thought it would be Purdue or Michigan. Um, I think Purdue is going to be absolutely a, a load to deal with uh, this coming year. Uh, I'm not surprised that Michigan is as high. I think Eli Brooks coming back was a huge boost for them. Uh, I mean, I think with Maryland, we'll just have to see. You know, I, I remember, you know, a couple years ago, you know, they were top five, top ten-ish team. And, you know, they've had, you know, really good teams in the past that haven't necessarily, you know, finished as the top dog, you know, even though they had the three-way split a couple of years ago. You know, I kind of want to see if they live up to that hype. Yeah, the only, I guess, issue I would have, and uh, I guess I could just tell them this, but We'll, we'll discuss it here. It's good content, good fodder. Uh, if you're going to, like, speculate on some teams, like, he he put Maryland at number one under the condition that they get some version of, like, Iowa and Wiggins and, and those guys and more sell back, right? But he put other teams lower, you know, Ohio State at four and Illinois at six or seven uh, because maybe, you know, in, in those versions, Liddell and Kofi and some of these guys on the fence don't return. So – Seems like you give some teams the benefit of the doubt, some other, some you know you don't, but that's that's how it's going to be in these types of rankings where so much uncertain. I would probably have put Michigan and Purdue, uh, you know, one two or or maybe interchangeably one A one B, just because we know I think uh, have a better idea of, of who's coming back there, even though there's still some question marks throughout the league. But, uh, but yeah, I, like you said, it's people like us who love college basketball that will talk about it, and that's the reason that that type of video gets. 40,000 views on Twitter or whatever we're sitting at at the time of the taping. 
Yeah, exactly. And I got to say, I'm a little surprised at Indiana F5. You know, we just kind of talked about, you know, how much of a wild card they are. And I think, you know, seeing them, you know, ahead of your Michigan State, Illinois, Wisconsin, even Rutgers uh, was a little surprising to me. But again, you know, Trace Jackson Davis is a monster. You know, the fact that they were able, they were able to keep Grace Thompson. Uh, I mean, they should be good. You know, I think they could be a tourney team. I just was surprised to see him as high this early. All right. Well, we're glad that Andy has that motor and uh, content never sleeps with him and gives us something to talk about. Glad that, uh, you know, you got the same motor age. We're still talking in, in mid-May and we will keep it rolling. That's all I got for you today, but appreciate you jumping on and, uh, you know, having fun with it as always. And we'll talk soon if you don't have anything else. Yeah, sounds good. You know, things are starting to slow down, so I'll definitely be available and, know whatever the next topic is i'm sure we can find something to, to talk about for a while all right sounds good talk soon all right man be good all right thanks once again to harold and jack for joining the show really good stuff from a couple of spartans spartan dogs is what i believe they call them and um you know really fun as always to talk to people in the michigan state community um as we talked about with jack it's a tight-knit program they run up there in east lansing and uh, everyone always speaks very highly of <clears throat> the entire operation. So good to chat with Harold, as we always do. Um, and, you know, filling time, obviously, in the off season. We're all kind of getting ready for summer. But uh, it's always nice to check back in with what's going on in the Big Ten football ba- and basketball landscape. So hope you enjoyed uh, listening as much as I did chatting with those two. Continue to crank out some episodes here as we move along. Uh, you know, maybe a little slower cadence when the summer picks up, but uh, we'll have a few more, at least a couple more coming by the end of May. All right. Thanks as always, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Julie Bronder for stitching the show together. Quick reminder that you can find the Take 10 Podcasts on the main podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and we are on YouTube as well. Search for Big Ten Network's YouTube channel subscribe to it and there's a playlist for the take 10 podcast where you can see these interviews watch them watch the guests react to my brilliant questions in real time all right thanks everyone and we will talk to you soon here on the take 10 podcast